Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This is Playing Around with Paige Renee. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Playing Around. I'm your host, Paige, and of course we have Teddy G with us again. Did you have a good weekend, Teddy? Did you have a good last week? Paige, so nice to see you. It was actually an excellent weekend, to be honest. There were a bunch of fun things. Um, Friday, played nine holes, first time in Chicago. This year, it was like 55 degrees, so that's basically shorts weather for us. Everybody's very excited. <laughs> Nine holes and paddle at the Evanston uh, Golf Club, so that was cool. I think I played a, I think I played a college tournament there. Oh, yeah. Is the first hole um, a straightaway par four? There's like a bunker on the right side with the road coming up on the opposite side. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say different course. Damn it! <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what that course in Chicago I played. <laughs> Now, do you keep a list? Would you be able to find it somewhere? Do you keep? I could probably, yeah, I could definitely probably find yeah. it. But when I was looking at your pictures, I was like, that course looks really familiar. And I just remember the first hole. Um, it's like a straightaway par four, and then there's a road that comes up the other side. But the clubhouse even looked the same. So I was like, I thought that might be the course. You need to look it up. So this this uh, first hole fades to the right, and if you hit a really bad slice, like I have a couple times, you're in the driving range. <laughs> Is that is that your miss? Is the slice? Except when I miss it left. Yeah, uh, my miss yes. is either left, right, short. <laughs> the dreaded right, left miss. <laughs> the dreaded two way miss. Yeah. So Friday was fun, and then I went down to uh, the Wrigleyville Lakeview area afterwards. Um, did some drinking at a bar called Old, Old Crow. Great crowd there. Saturday took out some VIPs to a White Sox game. We got oh, a fun. Uh, where the Sox play. Um, so a couple of big betters, one of whom quite hilariously, he was there with his wife and his wife doesn't know about his, uh, his big betting. <laughs> so I thought that was <laughs> oh, kind of <no>! fun. 
<laughs> how does he hide that? Is it is he just like what do you do? How do you even hide it? It's hilarious because like, well, why does she think you're here in a suite with other points bet people exactly? And he's just like, oh, just, you know, we're friends with some of the points bet people. I said, perfect. Um, <laughs> so we kept the ruse going. That was uh, that was pretty funny. It was a good White Sox game. They had like a walk-off win. Mm-hmm. Um, so good crew of guys. And then I got to say, Sunday was great because I crushed it with the golf bets, Paige. I, I hit like everything. I hit the outright with Leash and Cam Smith, a, a top five, a top 10, and uh, Peter Uline, Wierenski, top 10. So... I mean, this really happens where... And the booster, too. Don't forget the booster. No, I think the booster lost, though. Was Didn't Leishman win a major? No, no, not uh, yet. Who am I he, thinking of? Yeah, I wish. That would have been a, a little cherry on top. I know. Leish has been very close on those majors, and I, I even wasn't sure a couple days ago and looked him up to confirm, but... <laughs> If we're wrong, I feel we'll be like he's won it. like an open. I I I swear he's. Oh, Shane Lowry didn't. Shane he Lowry. That's, I get those two <laughs> mixed up. <laughs> those guys with the accents are very hard to They're keep like, handle. Complete opposite people from like not even the same part. It's that was not good on my part. <laughs> but you know they're both kind of stocky. They're bigger guys. They're guys who you feel like every time in the Open Championship or. You know, maybe a ride. Well, not a Ryder Cup for Leash because he's Australian. But they're just such like good players that you, yeah, you feel like they're capable anytime they uh, they play in a major. So uh, maybe maybe Leash will appreciate you know that you thought that, or he'll be offended that you thought he looks like Shane Lowry. Yeah, not great. <laughs> that was such a fun tournament, though. The Zurich, I enjoyed that so much. I love team events, and I love anything that's a little bit different. I love when they mix the formats up. But to come down the stretch with it being alternate shot was pressure packed, and I think it added a whole new level to it because not only are you playing for yourself, but you're playing for your partner. And so when U stays and hit in the water on the playoff hole, you could just tell that he felt defeated. I mean, like, do you look at your partner when you do that? Do you just look straight? Like, I, I don't even yeah. know how I, how I would act. I mean, because you let down yourself and you let down your partner. It, there was good drama. I mean, there was the hole where Leishman hits it, like, right behind the tree. So wondering, you know, what's going to happen there. And, and, right, the whole teamwork partner thing is intriguing because, like, we've all been there. We've at least played, like, member guests and you don't want to let your part down. There's a different dynamic. And then Cam Smith on that drivable four puts it in the water and leash chips in. That was a beautiful moment. I mean, everyone knew they were going to win, though. They were the team to beat coming into it. I mean, Cam Smith always plays well at the Zurich, and they're they're a great team together. So I'm still going to say that that was my pick because I <laughs> I said that was my pick first. So we both won this week. We both won. I think maybe only one of us won financially, but... We both won. And actually, you know what? I, I piggybacked off your uh, Scheffler Watson top 10. So I made a little uh, made a little coin off your prediction there. Yeah, all of our guys did pretty well this week. I was a little disappointed by the final round by Jason Kokrak and Pat Perez because they had it going there for a little bit. And then <sighs> Kokrak just let the team down. He did not yeah. play well. <laughs> your boy, Jason Kokrak, as I like to call him. But he still won me $20. I had a little side action going with Will Gray of uh, Golf Channel. So he was my pick. We usually take guys in like who are 50 to 60 to one. 
So the Perez uh, coat rack pick uh, netted me 20 bucks. So thanks for that one. Do you like the fact that there's limited team events? So we only have a few. We have the Zurich and then we have the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup, which I love team events. Do you think that they should add more of them or do you think it makes it so special because there's only a few that we get to look forward to? I would be open to more team events. Now, I Mm -hmm. am a believer in the whole like too much ice cream theory. Like when it comes to college football, I actually don't want a bigger playoff because sometimes more and bigger doesn't necessarily mean better. Uh, you want it to be special, especially in a Ryder Cup year. So we don't want to like flood the market with them. But there's still just like so many run of the mill tour events that need some way to distinguish themselves. Um, can you have like a three player team event? <laughs> I wish that they made the Olympics into a team event. I don't like that yes. it is stroke play. I think it is such a missed opportunity to do something so special with the Olympics and make it so different. And they just did a normal golf tournament. And it's like, why would you do stroke play in the Olympics? That is a perfect opportunity to do another team event. Like you could do an alternate shot. And I think right. it should be alternate shot every single day because that's where all of the pressure comes in and you have to like really execute the shots when it matters. And it's just so stupid that they decided to do stroke play. I think that should be another team event that they should add immediately. No question. So I was there in Rio for the golf. We had no idea what to expect. Like if you remember because of that whole Zika scare, there were all these people who didn't play like Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson. And then we get out to Rio. I was there for three weeks. I think I saw one mosquito the whole time. So yeah. Like, they just guys, didn't want to play. You guys really <laughs> fucked this up because you yeah. blew a major marketing opportunity. Plus like, Bubba Watson and those guys saying it's the first time they ever felt like actual athletes because they were hanging out with the with real, actual with athletes. Real athletes <laughs> having meals with them, like talking to them about training. So those yeah. guys who didn't come blew it. But I, I know they had all this time to think of a cool format for golf because it hadn't been played in the Olympics in like 80 or 100 years. And they're like, okay, let's just do stroke, stroke play. play. It's like, come on. <laughs> Groundbreaking yeah, really? idea. Stroke play. Oh, God, it's terrible. Yeah. Have you, do you have any good team stories? Cause I played, only time I've done a team event was with my dad and it was a, it was supposed to be a father son, but we were the only father daughter uh, team yeah. to play. And when we signed up, it was best ball and <laughs> we get on the first tee. And because I was one of the better, I was the best junior golfer at the club at the time. Uh, they changed the format because I was supposed to be playing from the front tees and they're like, no, we're going to do alternate shot now. And my dad has to play from the tips. And my dad, he's not hes not a bad player, but he's not a great player. And he's not great under pressure when it comes to golf. And so we did alternate shot, and it was miserable. Like, he found places on that golf course I have never seen before. <laughs> and the only fairway he hit was on 18. And he hit the 16th fairway all the way on the other side. And they were just building the clubhouse, and they just put glass in. And I had to hit a three-wood over the corner of the clubhouse to, uh, you know, get it back into play. And I was like, dad, I am never, ever playing another team event with you. And he's like, it's not my fault. Like it's supposed to be alternate or it's supposed to be best ball. I'm like, yeah, well, we just got screwed over big time. And it was horrible, horrible. But you got a chance to be the hero then. If your partner like screws up so badly and is in the ferry on the wrong hole, then you get to, you know, it's kind All of like a, a nothing to lose. Yeah. All I mean, day long. We were even thinking like 
It would get it was it got to the point that it was so bad that when we were on the greens, I was like, "Do I miss this putt just so my dad can putt so I can tee off on the next hole?" Because oh. he kept having to tee off on almost every single hole, and from the tips, the course was pretty long, and there's like a lot of carries. Not we. We couldn't find a fairway. Like he literally couldn't find a fairway. There would be like the one spot he couldn't miss it, and he would find that spot. Like there was, there's really no water on that golf course. He would still find water anywhere. <laughs> it was insane. I've never seen someone hit it so bad off the tee before. Yeah. So first of all, like that's not how alternate shot is supposed to work, as you know from the Zurich. <laughs> you pick your holes before in terms of who's gonna tee off from where, so you can't manipulate it like that. So you can't like miss like a three inch putt. So that. <laughs> So then you're the one who's teeing off on the next hole. Yeah. That was definitely messed up. Um, I've played a couple team competitions. So one we do, it's called the the Writers' Cup. And it's the Illinois versus Wisconsin golf media every year. And it is awesome. We usually have 12, 12 guys aside and we do the alt shot best ball. Yeah. And um, the last one page was, uh, was a rather bitter pill because my partner and I, an alternate shot, reached a par four it was probably 445 yards i think we were there in two about 14 feet from the hole we four putted to tie the match <laughs> what happened? Really happened how did that even happen <laughs> so and and we got like so cocky the other you know so the first putt i it's like 14 feet i thought it was downhill apparently it wasn't because i left it about four feet short <laughs> Oh no. Then my partner, who's like a one, uh, Dan Roan, great player, a little overly aggressive, uh, put it about three feet past and, uh, we'll never speak of my, uh, three foot attempt. <laughs> oh God. So then the other one was, I usually play the <laughs> member guest at the merit club with a buddy named Hugh Williams, former Northwestern linebacker. And one first year we finished DFL dead fucking last. <laughs> he, he's a, he, as bad as I am. He's worse. He's about a 30 handicap. Yeah. And then a few years later, it was going so well that like we started, I think maybe on uh, our nine hole match, maybe on the 12th hole. And by the time we got to 18, like it was really raining and stuff. So he just like put it out on 18 and just went into the clubhouse. And then I just finished the final three holes by myself. (laughs) Jeez. See, team events can be really fun or they can be miserable. Like if you are struggling out there, I mean, yeah. I feel bad for Colin Morikawa having to play with Matt Wolf. I yes. mean, he just like brought the whole team down. I think they said he shot like what is so he only contributed on maybe two holes when they were playing best ball, and then they shot like a 77 with alternate shots. How did we not fade him in every conceivable bet? That poor Matthew Wolf, man. I, I mean, uh, at this point, I don't know if we take him in, in a member guest to play. No. The key with the member guest is you still got to win the night. Even if you play terribly, you got to stay there, have fun, go out drinking, and uh, yeah, and, and um, have a great time at night. And then you can just forget about all the golf misery. Well, I mean, it really honestly doesn't matter anymore since the PGA Tour is doing the $40 million bonus for social media. I mean, where was this when I was, you know, getting my sponsor exemptions? This is what I needed. So they just came out. This is crazy. Like, I know you're a fan of this and we got to get into this, but this has been big news in the golf world. So the PGA Tour has created a lucrative bonus structure that will reward golf biggest stars regardless of how they perform on the course, which is like, 
when I was getting my sponsor exemptions, everyone was like, oh, like, it doesn't matter if you have social media likes, like, yeah. that's so lame, like, you're not doing anything to contribute. And now they, like, built an entire bonus structure on this. It's insane. What do you think about it? I am a fan. I know we're in an age, especially on Twitter, where everybody is a shit on anything that's new, that's different. I mean, I think, Paige, we have to think about, like, what the point of this is. So there's this thing called the Premier Golf League, and they're trying to compete with the PGA Tour and get some of the bigger names to play in in its events. So I think this is the tour's way of saying, no, we are going to take care of the biggest names. We're going to pay them even more money. And, like, to me, anything that encourages these guys to do more interviews or put more time and effort into their social media is good. Now, there are a lot of questions here. Like, Jordan Spieth's dad is involved with the criteria, which is, which is I think, kind of interesting. So maybe Jordan is going to get a little bump up here um, because his dad certainly knows the formula that goes in. Um but I kind of like this. I think, you know, when you're encouraging guys to, to do more off the course and to, uh, to show more of your personality, I'm, I'm a fan. Okay, so I'm just going to break it down for everyone listening <laughs> right now. If you haven't heard of this, I'm sure you have, though. So at the end of the year, a pool of $40 million will be distributed among 10 players, with the, players, with the player deemed most valuable receiving $8 million. So this is going to be based off their position on the season-ending FedEx Cup pointless, the popularity in Google search, their Nelson brand exposure rating, their Q rating, which measure, measures the familiar... Oh, God, speaking is really hard. <laughs> reading is hard. <laughs> familiarity and appeal of a player's brand, their MVP index rating, which calibrates the value of the engagement a player drives across social and digital channels... And their meltwater mentions. Yeah. I don't even know half of this stuff <laughs> or the frequency with which a player generates coverage across a range of media platforms. So when I first saw this, it was a little frustrating for me because I have worked with big companies and different brands and they always say, oh, we can't, we can't measure it. So we can't pay you. Clearly. Clearly, you can measure it and you can pay influencers. So it's a little, I know why they're doing it. Like you were saying, they're just making sure that the guys on tour are staying on tour. And that's great. That's fine. I understand that. But as an influencer, this is literally my job to create engagement and likes. And so to see guys who are already getting paid millions and millions of dollars for their job, and then they're going to be paid out of a pool of $40 million to do what I'm already doing. So I have, if you look at all of the guys on tour, I'm second. I thought you were first. Who's ahead of you? So I have the most followers on Instagram. Yes. I have 3 million followers. Tiger Woods, I think, only has 2.6 or I yes. think he's moving up a little bit more. But across all of the platforms, I think he has around 12 million followers. I have 8 million followers. Next person, I believe, is Rory. So, and I actually get more engagement across all social platforms than every other player. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, these guys are going to be making millions of dollars and I'm doing the job, the, the best in the world in golf. And I'm not, I'm not even sniffing that kind of money. It's a little, it's hard to just swallow that and just be like, okay, these brands clearly understand the value of social media, yet they won't pay 
an actual influencer to create this media for them. And it'd be really cool with the PGA Tour because it's a symbiotic relationship. Like they mm-hmm. can't get engagement across social platforms unless people like me continue to share their content and talk about their content. If they put these clips out of these guys and no one talks about them, then it's not going to be seen. Like there has to be that relationship between the guys on the tour and the PGA tour and the content creators and the people who are in media. Like they're the people who share it and push it out and do all of this stuff. And so it'd be cool if the PGA tour brought in three influencers or content creators into this pool and like worked, paired them with other players and showed them how to do it because it's a, it's, it's a job, it's a craft. And one of my fears is that these guys they're going to hire people to literally tweet for them and mm-hmm. do their content for them. So they're not going to actually be spending any time on it. And even one of the players agent was quoted as saying that this is just basically free money for them because it, it's no, it, there's no time commitment. I spend hours and hours and yeah. hours every single day doing this. It takes so much time to sit there to come up with tweets and, you know, Instagram posts and captions and respond back to people. And that's how you create engagement. And so for them just be like, oh, this is easy. I'm just going to get, you know, eight, potentially $8 million out of it. It's almost like consulting that they don't see how the value and they're not putting the time into it or they're not going to really care about it. And so I do almost look at someone like a Bryson DeChambeau a little bit differently because this came out on January 1st. So this has been going on for a while. And so mm. it's interesting to look back and see the guys who have been a little bit more aggressive when it comes to social media. Right. So you look at someone like Bryson DeChambeau and yeah, maybe his stuff is a little cringy, but he's doing it himself. Like he is in the content. You can tell that he's like trying to do things that are a little bit different. And that's yep. great. I don't want to see, you know, the big names just tweeting. You can tell it's not really them. And that's that. And I don't want to see that. I don't want to see people just like not putting the time and effort into this to make it successful. Yeah. Bryson had uh, had that tweet after the news came out. He said, so does the PGA Tour player with the most YouTube subscribers get anything? Asking (laughs) for a friend. Uh, It's an interesting concern. I feel like, as you mentioned, we all know when it is a tweet or a post or a comment from the actual player. Like all of Max Homa's stuff comes from Max Holba. But is he going to be one of the top, the 10 guys that they're playing? Probably not. So it's like, they. but that's what I'm saying though. But yeah. I don't think it is because again, like you were saying, I think they just want to keep the top guys on the PGA tour. So it's like, how are they even picking the players to yeah. be considered part of the pool? I think there's just so many things that are can. That you just don't know about like Max Homa should be someone because he right. does put so much time and effort into his social media. And I feel like he gives back, but I feel like they're almost going to pick someone like a Dustin Johnson Oof. over Max Homa. What? And it's like, Dustin puts, you know, no effort into his social media compared. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, are they just paying the, the top names just so they, you know, they are happy or are they actually taking this seriously? And they're going to reward the players who are actually putting effort into what they do because it, is important. And I know people are laughing about this and saying that it's kind of stupid, but to connect to a younger audience, social media is the way to go. And you even saw that with, uh, for example, the Jake Paul fight, that Mm -hmm. boxing match, it got amazing numbers. And even with points bet, it was one of the highest bet on events that we've had. And so it's, it, that's crazy for me to hear, but it's like connecting to that younger audience and having that demographic is so vital to the growth of any sport out there. And this is something that could be used in a 
really positive, great way for the PGA Tour. But again, they have to do it right. Like, are their intentions right? Yeah, Jay Croucher mentioned on the points bet call that it was the number three bet on fight all time. Insane. So it does just show, it, it, to your point, Paige, exactly. I mean, you can um, you get a claim and you get attention now, like not traditional methods. Um, like with Spieth, does he do much on social media? Like, I can't think of sort of tweets or Instagram nothing. posts or he does nothing. All no, right, well, but again, it's like, I know he's going to be one of the 10 players who are probably um, added into that because he does drive, I guess, engagement when it comes to TV coverage. I think people tune in if Jordan is playing well and yeah. he does drive engagement on social media, maybe not from himself, but people tweeting about himself, about, about Jordan Spieth. So then I think about that. I'm like, is that honestly fair too? It's like, I'm over here tweeting to my massive audience and I'm putting money in their pocket. Shouldn't I get a cut of that? Or should, you know, it's like crazy when you think about it that way. I'm like, this is my job and the way I make my living. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just over here putting $8 million in their pocket by doing my job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would hope that they, at the very least, could stay you slash us with some nice sweets at PGA tournaments. You're probably talking about real money. Um, I don't think that's going to happen because I think they just want to keep it, you know, within the PGA Tour family. Of course. Yeah, they're not going to, to, but it's like, like, I'm going to think about that twice, though, when I'm about to tweet and I'm like, okay, well, do I even want to tweet this because I'm helping his QRT (laughs) rating, you know, (laughs) of course, I'm still going to do it. But, you know, you just think about that. And it's like, I wish that they would reach out to influencers and make this like a real awesome program for everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, there are several podcasts, hopefully uh, this one very prominent there that, that helped the PGA tour that yeah. <laughs> uh, helped draw an audience to the PGA tour. We talk about the last event. We pub the upcoming event. We talk about golf betting. All this stuff is, uh, you know, bringing attraction. We're not Jordan Spieth. We're not Tiger Woods. You're better than both of them on social media. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting thought of how they could kind of take care of podcasts and the things that help them out. I know it's positive. I know it's really great. And I know it's going to be awesome for the guys on the tour and also for the PGA tour and the growth of the tour. And that's most important because without the growth of the tour, then I don't have a job, which <laughs> then I can't even do my job if they don't have a, you know, if they don't have a tour. So I understand how it all works together, but we are a piece in that puzzle mm-hmm. that makes this everything go round. I reserve the right to rip this whole thing. If at the end of the year, Max Homa hasn't gotten some cash out of this. Like the people who really care, who are funny, who put some yeah. effort in. Like also the fact that like Max Homa does a podcast every week. Yeah. If he is not like top five in this, um, then yeah, they should tear it to shreds. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens with all of that. It, um, <laughs> It's it's seeing mixed reviews among players as well. I think a lot of the players are really like elevating to it and they're really enjoying what they do. And then I saw Fred Couples tweeted about it yesterday and he did not like it at all. What did all. he say? He basically said that um, when I was playing, likes, tweets, engagement had no effect on the birdies that you make on the golf course and you don't make any money. And he's right. So he's basically saying like none of that matters and what you're doing on the golf course with your play should matter more than everything else. And um, so I think the older guys who maybe aren't familiar with social media and, you know, all the benefits to it might be struggling a little bit with that idea of, you know, the popularity outside of your play can bring you money. 
But that's also a weird mindset to have because it's both of them have to work together. And that's why you see athletes like a Steph Curry or a LeBron James or, you know, even like a Tom Brady who is the go and he is active on social media. He has some really funny tweets and like you can tell he puts some time into it. Yes. And it almost seems like with golf, there are very few of the top players who interact the way that other top players at other sports do. Fred Couples has become like a jillionaire, even yeah. though he won only one major. Granted, it was the Masters. By yeah, by people liking him outside of exactly, yeah, so exactly. I mean, he he's, he's built that. his whole brand on like being very handsome and having this whole like you know chill guy aura. So I, I, I you know, winning all these silly season events. So I, I wouldn't. It's you know, if he's getting huffy about yes. All this stuff matters. Like you are popular, not because you've won that much, but because of like your vibe and how you look. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. So people are still getting compensated for making actual birdies. This is just in addition to it. It's not other than it's not it's not we're taking money away from, you know, from the prize money each week. It's in addition to. Well, and you have to play well to get on TV for people to know your name. I think that's also a really big thing. You've seen very little players be successful just through social media. I would say you have um, the Bryan brothers who were successful through YouTube in their trick shot videos. Mm. And then you have Max Homa, who has, you know, his big Twitter following. Um, Harold Varner, I would also say, is another player who um, he now has a podcast and he tries to do a lot of work through social media. But besides Great that, example. I really can't see think of a lot of other players who have had a following before they have been successful. And all of those players that I mentioned have also been very successful on the tour. So it's really interesting to see, like, you do still have to play well. You still have to get your name out there. You still have to win tournaments for people yes. to first know who you are, and then they'll keep following you because of the social media engagement. You know, two players I'm thinking of in relation to this, Cam Smith. So Cam Smith now is winning, obviously, and he's got this mullet, and he's really fun. And now casual golf fans might know him as, like, the mullet guy. And he's keeping the mullet and he's giving funny answers about it. Like his girlfriend doesn't like it. But he's <laughs> keeping it. It's part of him now. It makes people smile. I mean, even something relatively small like that is really good for golf or like Will Zalatoris. So he has the advantage of he has this kind of like goofy name and he has this weird look and he weighs like 126 pounds. But like he also, I think because of how well he does during interviews um, is a very appealing guy. So I just think that Again, like this is entertainment. The PGA Tour is here mainly to entertain us. So I do like the idea of the tour reminding people it's like do well in interviews, do well on social media. It's not just about shooting 67. I, so I think the spirit is actually good. I agree with that. And then you also see players like a Brooks Kepka who have always been pretty active on social media and he gets golf in the news. I mean, people will talk about these stories because of things that have happened on social media because it's a little mm-hmm. bit of drama, even with the Tatis right. Jr. Trevor Bauer situation that was all over social media just by two tweets. And so you can really see the power of social media and how people start to know these guys' name and tune in. I watched, you know, the Dodgers-Padres game because of that, because it was fun to see that back and forth. And so I think if people in golf can start to realize that this is a good thing and it's 
good for your own personal brand. You're going to make a lot more money then I think that's great. But you see players like uh, Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantley, they did a joint interview together before the Zurich and they were asked about this. And Xander said, I don't even have social media on my phone. Patrick doesn't either. We're never on it. We have no interest in it. Our focus is on the golf course. And so I think you are going to see those players who really just don't care. They're making enough money on the golf course, has no interest with them, and they don't they don't want to do it at all. I just hope those players are not added in to this 10-person pool. That's right. I mean, Patrick Cantlay um, could probably end up winning $200 million without ever winning a major. He's going to be yeah. that good for that long. And so he doesn't need the extra money. And guess what? Don't force it. If it's just your personality to like look straight ahead and be boring and try to be a great golfer, <laughs> you'll still appeal to a lot of people, right? I mean, Xander has a look. He's got a name. I mean, he's he's a very appealing guy. He's got kind of a nice story, I think, with his dad and stuff. So um, not everybody has to be everything, but just make sure that if you're going to create this, you are going to be rewarding the Max Homas of the world who do put in a great effort, even if they're not, you know, famous, famous. A hundred percent. So we're going to take a quick break here, guys. When we come back, we're going to talk about the drafts and UFC talk and the Kentucky Derby. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
Okay, guys, we are back. I am laughing because Teddy just told me that he is a Jets fan and the NFL draft is coming up. Teddy, are you excited that, you know, you're going to draft another quarterback that's just going to die there? I mean, that's when <laughs> players go to die. I mean, I feel wow. like when they're going through the draft, players are just sitting there and, and the Jets come up and it's like, please don't pick me. Please don't pick me. Please don't pick me. Please don't pick me. I don't want to go play for the Jets. I, I hear you. And that was part of why I actually <laughs> wanted them to keep Sam Darnold. You know, Sam Darnold, this like, this like great personality kid. At I liked USC. him. Yeah. Yeah. He's with the Jets. And he said several times, like, I want to be a Jet for life. <laughs> now, when somebody says that, I mean, I think part of the reaction is, okay, there's something wrong with this guy. Get get rid of him. Yeah. Because obviously there's, there's, there's a screw loose. They ended up trading him. They actually got good value um, back in terms of picks and stuff from Carolina. So now they're going to draft Zach Wilson. I mean, look, like Zach Wilson was amazing at BYU. Um, well, looks like a fantastic quarterback. His career's Mobile. over. Sorry to Zach exactly. Wilson. He's totally you will never. Um, <laughs> I know. It, it, it's tough to be a Jets fan page, but I'll tell you what, man. One day there'll be a big payoff. Uh, a bunch of years ago, we actually even drove to Indianapolis. They were in... Um, they're in an AFC playoff game and it was fun. And I love these guys. Uh, I really never cover the NFL so I can just be like an idiot fan. Yeah. You know, whereas like I cover all these other sports and once you cover a sport, you're rooting based on self-interest, whether like you want to go to a certain bowl game or if you're covering the world series and you know, you want a trip to San Diego, you're rooting for the Padres, <laughs> the jets. I can just be an idiot fan and, uh, huge part of being a Jets fan is draft day because it's like, it's, you know, it's the day we actually have hope. <sighs> well, I wish you well. I, 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 I mean, you always have a good pick because you guys always suck every single year. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Number <laughs> two this year. I mean, one of the toughest Sundays this year was when the Jets actually won a game and they start out like, Oh, and 11 or Oh, and the first team who's upset about winning a game because you want to get Trevor Lawrence. Like you still find a way to fuck it up when you exactly. fucked it up. <laughs> exactly. You guys are so fucking incompetent. You can't even lose when you're lose supposed properly. to. Exactly. Like they had that game against the Raiders where yeah. they, uh, they were set to win. And then the Raiders came back and we were I all remember. absolutely thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> But then I think it was the next I think they won the next two games. And it's like, you guys are idiots. But as good as Trevor Lawrence is, I think Zach Wilson is going to be pretty sweet. So I think you're the first person in the history of ever to want Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is like an immaculate prospect. Is there any possibility that he will not be drafted number one at Jacksonville? You told me that there's like a, a crazy a bet on that one. So I don't, I don't think it's an actual bet. I think just we, we, it's been talked about on social media. So his odds of points bet are minus 10,000. <laughs> so what that means is you wager 10,000 to win a hundred. It also means you can wager a hundred to win one, or you could wager a million dollars to win 10,000. So my question, if somebody was really stinking rich, would you roll the dice on that? Because like, Unless he gets hit by a bus in the next couple of days, he is going to be the topic in the draft. So would you still have the stones to put down a million dollars to win 10K? You never know. I feel like that's, I mean, he should be drafted number one. I mean, it would be 
the surprise of the century if he doesn't go number one. But with the draft, there are really weird things that happen all the time. And it's always like ever changing. You just you never you honestly never know. But I think you'd be an idiot to not take take Trevor Lawrence. I mean, a franchise quarterback does not come around that often. He's got everything. And then on top of it, like the intangibles of he was a guy who was pushing so hard for college football to be played in the fall even though he technically had like the most to lose. I mean, he was going to be the first draft pick, even if nobody ever played. So I admire that too. Like other, you know, you've got these players, like usually in Michigan who were sitting out bowl games because they're so busy protecting their draft status. And Trevor Lawrence, you know, was like, screw it. If I, if I tear my ACL or something, that's all right, because I want to play with my guys and I want to try to win a national championship. I love everything Trevor stands for. Yeah, I mean, that shows a lot about him as a person and his character right there. I mean, he cares about the team and he's going to be incredible. It's going to be really fun to watch him. But I'm, I, so I'm a Steelers fan. Steelers, number 24? Yeah, so we need offensive line. We need like a good center. We could also take a good running back. Obviously, we need a quarterback, clearly. But that's just Ben's not only 47 years old. You sure you need another guy? Oh my God. Ben's just going to die on the Steelers field. Like he's going <laughs> to be there forever. Like we're never going to get rid of him, which is just. Uh, okay, walking just out with a cane. Crazy. Yes. That's going to be next season. You already can't walk. He's going to be wearing like two boots and like his arms. I mean, a sling. He's like, I can still throw it. <laughs> so have you done enough scouting to have a feel for like what quarterback might be available at 24. We're not going to and... take a quarterback. I mean, if we do, so that's, right. I think that's the problem is that we keep drafting really bad quarterbacks. And so we don't even have good backup quarterbacks. So I'd much rather them just kind of forget about a quarterback at this point and just focus on getting, you know, like a really good, um, like I would love to get Najee Harris for the Steelers. I think he'd be a perfect fit. Um, it would be awesome. And for better or worse, we are married to, Ben Roethlisberger. So I think if we just get people to surround him and keep him safe and like good running backs, that's really going to help him perform a lot better. And I think the biggest thing is just keeping him healthy and not getting hit as much. So James Conner, why was he not re-signed? Did he just get too expensive? So he's with the Arizona Cardinals now because Conner had some great times with the Steelers. There's been just a lot of mixes. I think Obviously, losing AB and then Le'Veon Bell really kind of messed up everything. And you saw a lot of players tend to leave during that time. And then you had a lot of players now coming in. But even with Juju and Claypool, they're they're almost kind of like the new toxic <laughs> duo in, you know, Pittsburgh. It's great that Juju ended up staying, which was a surprise to me. I thought he'd end up leaving. So hopefully the locker, the inside of the locker room will be a little bit better. But there's just been a lot of moving pieces around the Steelers. And it just sucks because I think Tomlin is such a good coach. He yes. really is. He's a player's coach. Everyone seems to like him. And I think he's just had a hard time, a hard go of it. I mean, obviously having AB for that long and dealing with him and then the whole Le'Veon situation and then just everything changing and not even having like a backup, backup quarterback. It's just been tough. Like they've never really been set up lately to be successful. Quick Antonio Brown story. So I'm uh, on South Beach. So this is many years ago and I'm throwing (laughs) a football with a buddy of mine and I look over and there's some guy who is like, ripped beyond belief and he's 
throwing D and he's like throwing, you know, 40, 50 yard, just like darts. And I, I'm like, who is that? <laughs> his friend goes up to me, goes Antonio Brown. Remember the name? It was between his, like, it was after his rookie season in the Steelers. Yeah. Like, I don't think he did much. And I think he was a college quarterback. So that's, you know, that's why he th- looks like he throws sometimes <laughs> like an NFL quarterback. But I will never forget that guy said, like, remember that name. And he ended up being obviously an amazing player and then a huge headache. Le'Veon Bell, of course, goes to the Jets. I'm all excited about it. And the Jets screw him up. But uh, that Clay, that, that uh, Chase Claypool pick was inspired last year. Like, it is hard to get a wide receiver to produce early in their career. I covered him at Notre Dame. What a size, strength, speed combo. He had some monster names last year. Well, and that's the thing. Like, he has the names, but then going back to actually the earlier discussion that we had about social media, is it a positive when you are trying to perform? We actually saw that be quite a bit of a negative when it comes to Clay, uh, Chase Claypool and Juju Schuster, like the Schuster, they were so focused on social media and what they were yes. doing on TikTok before the game that it almost started to be like a distraction. And like Ben had to tell Juju to like, let's stop da- doing dances on yes. the other team's logo. Like that is not a good look <laughs> after he just got his head just rocked on a hit. So it's like, is it good or bad? And when I said they're toxic, I don't think that they are, you know, like, like an AB that are, you know, very problematic, but it, it's almost like their, their attitudes or their focus is almost like shifted to different things. And it's like, okay, yes, social media is good, but it is too much social media a bad thing when it comes to, you know, trying to focus in on the games that you're playing? Yeah, this is not golf. This is football. This is the <laughs> ultimate team sport. <laughs> You're like one of 53 dudes or one of 22, however you want to look at it. Like you can't be a jackass. You know, you can't be taunting. You can't be caring more about social. And obviously receivers in the NFL are often guys who are just a complete headache. I mean, can you imagine (laughs) like Mike Tomlin when somebody's trying to tell him, coach, so we've got this issue because of like Juju and he's like dancing on logos and it's on TikTok and he's probably just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe like this is, this is the shit I got to deal with. So yeah, it's different sports. Like if you're a tennis player, you're a golfer, do whatever you want. Cause you're the only one who pays for it, but not a football player. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Who are some other good picks that you're looking at? Um, so I am intrigued by who the third overall pick is going to be. And, uh, Mac Jones is is the favorite on points bet minus 225 which means you you bet 225 to have a hundred dollar profit yeah but i think uh, some tells me that trey lance the quarterback from north dakota state is going to sneak in there at number three like he's got an amazing personality um he's got the it factor that you want yeah. as a quarterback so like mac jones was obviously incredible Redible at Alabama, but he's also throwing to basically the best receivers in all of college football. Yeah. Uh, so that's an interesting one. Kyle Pitts is probably going to go four. He's his tight end from Florida, who you can't even really call him a tight end because he's like definitely you know, a fat. top five draft pick. Yeah, sure. fast yeah. enough to be a receiver. I mean, he is just like an overall baller. Some people think he's like the, truly the second best prospect in the whole draft. How do you think that this draft is going to be? affected by the fact that a lot of the seasons were either canceled or postponed right. or the schedules were changed up. Cause I think Trey Lance, obviously he is amazing, but he hasn't 
played much. I he mean, played one game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his last competitive season was 2019. He's only had, um, it was like 288 uh, passes yeah, in college. Yeah. yeah. Now, his last full season, North Dakota State went like 16 and 0, and he, I think, threw zero interceptions, which is pretty impressive. It was something like 28 TDs and zero picks. But last season, because of COVID, he played only one game. And I think the scouts are just like, it's no big deal. Like there's this kid, Rashawn Slater, who's this offensive lineman from Northwestern. Maybe that's why I'm wearing purple today. And he (laughs) actually opted out of the 2020 season. And um, if anything, it helped his stock because I think he was viewed as like, maybe he was going to go between 10 and 20. And now he's, you know, going to go between like eight and 14 or something like that. So um, probably not a big deal. Some guys helped like Kyle Pitts totally helped himself because he was like unguardable. Uh, during the season, Trevor Lawrence didn't matter. Zach Wilson helped himself. So then some guys, I guess, uh, you know, played and maybe uh, wish they should, should have set up. Yeah. Do you think some of them will be coming in a little bit more fresh now? Because like you're saying, they have, you know, sat out. Or do you think that these the they want to see the reps like they want to see what these guys are doing when it matters? Because my dad, so he played football at Pitt and he was telling me, we were just kind of talking about the draft and he was telling me the story. He's like, yeah, there's guys that look good in their underwear, meaning that they look very you know, athletic and they go to the combines and they, you know, are, are look amazing, but under pressure when it counts, you know, will they get it done? And my dad's like, I, I hated getting hit. Like he was scared to get hit. And so practices weren't so great. And like, you know, under pressure in, um, I always want to call them when I get golf and like other things mixed up. And so like, <laughs> yes. I, I, I automatically just want to call it a tournament. And I'm like, Paige, it's not a fucking tournament. It's called a game. Like, what are you doing? Um, uh, but like in games, again, he didn't want to get hit. And like, you can't have any fear at all when it comes to the NFL. And so it's like, when these guys are drafting, they're looking at these potential players. Are they looking for the guys who are good in their underwear? They're athletic. They know what they're doing. They could potentially mold them into being something that's really great. Like maybe like a Trey Lance, or are they looking at someone who has the results and has performed? Or does that not really matter when it comes to college? Because college is so significantly different than NFL. We've seen so many really great college players not be able to tri- to bring their games over to the NFL type of play. Yeah, I love that that's the nickname they have for the combine, the underwear Olympics. Yeah. I think that is, uh, <laughs> that's one of the all-timers. Yeah, like we've heard of these guys. There's a guy at a Boston College a bunch of years ago named Mike Mamula, and he was, I think, viewed as like a third or fourth rounder. And then he went to the combine and was a complete freak show and ended up getting drafted in the top 10 and did not have much of an NFL career. Um, what position did your dad play in football? He was a free safety. So he did the hitting, but like as a free safety, I mean, that's almost as much contact, you know, I mean, those are some of the scariest hits on the field. So that is fascinating that he still, he did not really enjoy the physical part of it, or he kind of had some concerns. He's big and strong and he looks really, he looks really intimidating, but he is such a softy. Like he will cry at everything. He's very sensitive and he just doesn't like to get hit. Like he's just not that type. He's not an aggressive person at all. And, but you look at him and he would look like he would be, you know, an all around athlete. But it's like, if my, if my dad had my mom's demeanor (laughs) and personality, he would have been a killer on the field because my mom is like, 
ruthless. Like she shows no emotion, no fear, nothing at all. And she just will like do, she's such a hard worker. And then my dad's the opposite. Like if I want to like cry with someone, I'm going to like go to my dad and like talk to him about certain things. And like, if I want to be baby, like I'll go to my dad. If I want like tough love, I'll go to my mom. So I'm like, if my dad had my mom's demeanor, he would have been he would have been playing professionally for sure. That is fascinating. It is not <laughs> the way it is in our house. When my kids are sick, they run straight to uh, their mama. Um, but if your dad made it to playing big time college football as a free safety, he cannot be that soft. He has to have. He's super, he super it. athletic, like yeah. extremely athletic. Um, he did multiple sports in high school. Um, like I said, he's just he's tall. He's built, but he just doesn't like to get and he would admit it too like he'd much rather just be home like cooking (laughs) yeah i'll I'll probably get a text after he listens to this episode sorry dad but you know it's true dad you know it's true (laughs) do both your parents listen to every podcast (laughs) they do um they listen to them especially now not as much before especially when there was some of the you know interesting topics interesting topics like that interesting topics um but yeah they do they listen to everything and watch everything i do they're very supportive and they're great but there are certain things that i've said it they're like hey what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) why did you say that i'm still trying to convince them to do like a family episode where it's all four of us together um because it would be i think pretty good content my family is um very unique i would say and we've all had like very different upbringings and like my sister was raised completely different than how i was raised and so you went to like a conventional school and stuff so yeah so when i was um homeschooled and i was trying to play golf um at a very high level i would spend half the year in arizona with my mom and my sister would spend half the year or she would spend all of her time in Colorado because she was during her senior or junior and senior year of high school. And so she didn't want to yeah. leave and she was not homeschooled. She went to public school. And so um, we, like I said, very different. So my dad basically like raised my sister and then my mom basically raised me. So you can see like the differences with like the parenting styles and like how we, you know, have gone about certain things and like how our lives have progressed. So it's, it's really fascinating. You better do that family podcast. That sounds like <laughs> at least a two part. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> No, it's a, but yeah, he just, he doesn't like to get hit. Like he doesn't like injuries, nothing at all. Like if he, I don't know, like has like a hangnail, he gets really upset about it. So I look forward to meeting your dad and I'm going to, I'm going to ask him, if you know, I'm like, man, Paige is just running you down. She's dragging you down. Is this actually true? You played football at like the second highest level possible. I bet you could take a, take a licking. No, I think he would admit to it. Like I said, like my mom has like, such a high pain tolerance she'll like grab like hot pans <laughs> like she like will and she just as a hurt. hobby <laughs> just for fun she just like loves pain and like she'll get hurt she won't cry nothing at all just like dead pan no expression and my dad will like stub his toe and he's just like yelling and jumping around and like swearing and all this stuff it's the funniest thing ever so I'm like a combination between like my mom and my dad. I have a high pain tolerance, but I am like super, super, super sensitive and a softie. So it's like, it's this weird, it's weird combination between them. I cannot wait to potentially meet him or at the very least hear this podcast and uh, dive deeper. <laughs> that, that's uh, that's fun stuff. Well, think, speaking of gruesome injuries, oh. Teddy, did you watch UFC this last weekend? 
I did not watch it live, uh, but then I watched the clip after um, after you mentioned it, and you know, I, I didn't exactly know going in. So, and then I saw the kick and what happened afterwards, and then my my hand was in my head. I did watch it a second time, but two times is all I could handle. How about you? Oh gosh! So if you guys didn't watch, Chris Weidman had a very gruesome leg injury where he tried to block a kick and his leg snapped in half. It um, wasn't great. So he like literally tried. He stepped on it and the leg just snapped. Like his foot, his toes were like touching his knee. Um, It was not great. I watched it live and my stomach hurt for a while after that. It just and you hate to see it. Such a gruesome injury. The weird thing is that he did that to someone else. And those were only like three times that have happened in USC history. So like an an injury like that, which is surprising because I feel like that would happen so much more. Like these guys are massive dudes and they're kicking someone's leg as hard as they can. And how does their leg not snap like that more often? Bones are like it's so weird. I can just speak from personal experience. So I've only broken one bone in my life and it's not like I'm inside all the time. I play tons of different sports and whatever. We'll try to even play like ice hockey, even if I can barely skate or, you know, whatever, flag football or basketball. I mean, I've played like every sport. Um, I've only had one injury, but it was brutal. (laughs) A bunch of years ago, I'm playing softball and um, I was playing center field and there was like a shallow pop. So the the shortstop called me off. So I just kind of slid out of the way and I looked down and my foot, like, instead of being here was like here. Oh no. I mean, somewhat similar to to that injury, like shock. Like what I've had a couple of really bad injuries, but never to the point where like a body part was not facing the way that it should be facing. Like, do you just go into complete shock? Do you feel that pain at all? So the weirdest part about all this, I mean, this was a dislocated ankle and broken fibula and I never felt any pain. I, 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 maybe I was because I was not in any pain. Friends were coming over and they were like, Ooh, you know, they were like, that's the grossest thing I've ever seen. And I never took a pain pill. I think the doctors like did a hell of a job. I mean, they did say something like if this hospital hadn't been as close as it was, um, you know, it might've been more serious in terms of an amputation or something. I was like, Jesus, but no, it was never painful. I don't know why. That's interesting. So I've had a couple really bad injuries being a gymnast. So I fractured my kneecap twice and it was weird how it happened. They said since I was so young that the muscle actually pulled a piece of the bone off. So it wasn't completely um, detached 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 it was just like hanging there so oh. it was like a part of my patella the bone was just kind of like hanging there and they said it was like a one in a million chance that it would happen and it happened twice so those were two pretty bad ones and the first time in gymnastics you can't show any weakness and you especially can't show that you're feeling any type of pain and so i felt that something was wrong with my knee but i was really scared to tell anyone about it so i tumbled and did everything on my knee for about three weeks before we even got it looked at and yeah and my coach 
told my parents because I sat down during one of my, like during the rotation and you're not supposed to sit down. And they're like, what's oh. going on? I was like, my knee hurts. And so that's how we found out the first time. Um, I've seen a lot of girls break elbows, like snap them in half. Cause in gymnastics, you're never supposed to put your arms backwards and people tend to do that a lot. And so that's when they snap. I've seen that. It's never happened to me, but my worst injury of all time, my most painful one by far is I was doing a Takachev. So Takachev is where you let go of the bar, fly over it and then catch it again. And my fingernail clipped the top of the bar and it ripped it out of the bed and it was just it was just attached at the bottom section of it so i had to go to um the doctor and the doctor was terrible like she was horrible and she thought that if she reattached if she like reattached it that it will just grow back like it would just kind of should just put it back on it And so they, yeah, so they had to numb my finger. So they were sticking needles into like my raw flesh of where the fingernail ripped off. And I have never, I I mean, never in my life have I have been in that much pain than them sticking the needles into the, the, it was so bad that the nurse got nauseous and she had to leave the room because it was so gross. So now that everybody has hit the, 15 second advance or maybe the 30 second <laughs> advance. Hopefully you've come back to the podcast. We, I, I apologize on behalf of Paige for, for, for the fact that you had to hear that story. Get the head. That was gross Paige. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great. And so my mom was like, this is stupid. So your mom's, probably like, doing... your mom's probably like, what's the big my deal? My mom's like, suck it up. Stop being like your dad. <laughs> and so that my mom just ended up cutting it and it just oh. it grew back normally. Uh, but that was by far the worst one. And I was pretty lucky with all of my injuries that I never had anything too bad happen to me. Just a lot of like sprained ankles, sprains. Um, yeah. the, the knee was probably the worst. But pain wise, out of everything, not even just like athletic injuries, all the pain that I have ever been in my entire life, that was the worst, the fingernail, by far, by far. I was screaming and like bawling when it was happening. So at least with mine, I ended up getting a good story out of it. So it was my first year that I was actually covering Notre Dame football. So this happens over the summer. I remember I was in like <laughs> a you know full-on cast for four weeks, and then I was in a walking cast for three weeks. So yeah. I was, you know, covering Notre Dame and Lou Holtz is still the head coach. That's how long ago it was. So he's having like a golf media outing. So, and also, by the way, I was paired with Urban Meyer, who I'd never heard of before. He was the receivers coach. So anyway, so we're playing and it's, it's a scramble. Um, So we're all hitting into this par three. Lou Holtz is at the par three. We're trying to beat Lou Holtz. Somebody in our team hits it to like 15 feet. And then I actually make the putt. I'm in like a walking cast. Miraculously <laughs> enough, I make the putt like Urban Meyer's thrilled because he's trying to stick it to Lou. Everybody, you know, kind of resented him because he was so hard on the assistants. So that night at the banquet, Lou Holtz gets up and he goes, uh, and now the award, the most courageous thing I've ever seen by a sports rider, Terry Greenstein. Come on up, Terry. So I thought he was maybe like pimping me because he, I thought maybe he knew my name and he was just making fun of it. I found out later when Lou was on ESPN, he would botch like two names every broadcast. So he really is just that bad with names. But yeah, it was kind of nice that he ended up saying the most courageous thing he's ever you know seen by a sports writer is knocking in a putt with a walking cast. So at least I got something good out of it. 
The walking cast. I mean, Teddy. Not a lot of people have to do that and fight through that, but you fought through it. You got it done. Your mom and I would be proud. (laughs) She would be proud that I did not sit out. I was never, I was only, you know, I'm in like a walking cast. So I'm hitting like a four iron, like 130 yards. I mean, I'm like, this is no fun. I can't even like put my feet on the ground, but I was not going to miss an opportunity to like meet the coaches and schmooze and get the advantage you get media wise from being at something like that. So, and then ended up getting a funny story out of it. Congratulations. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. I just Appreciate got you. finger or needle stuck oh, in my finger. What bed. happened? Did you get? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, nothing, nothing. Sorry, dad. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so we also have the Kentucky Derby coming up. I love the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. I have never been. I'm hope oh, I hope that I can go one day. I love the hats and everyone dresses up and it's just so much fun. I think Horse movies, like inspirational horse movies are by far the best sports movies of like all time. And I will cry 100% of the time. Um, But have you been to the Kentucky Derby before? I have. And by the way, so I I definitely want my kids to watch Secretariat. I remember Secretariat, that movie. I can't not cry. I can't not cry. What else would you put on your horse racing movie list? Seabiscuit. Have to watch Seabiscuit. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh no. So when I said Secretariat, I meant Seabiscuit. Yeah, Seabiscuit's the one with uh, <laughs> Toby Maguire. Of course. Came out what six or seven years ago. Beautifully shot. The biscuit is a- exactly. So that is the one that's on. Probably one of the only movies that I have been in in a movie theater that people clapped after yeah, was Seabiscuit. That's mm-hmm. always a good sign when that. Yeah. Uh, when that that's happens. okay. Speaking of my mom having like no emotions and she being a robot, she will only cry for horse movies. That's the only time I will ever see her slightly tear up. And it, you, they won't fall. Like, tears won't actually fall. Yeah. But you can see the eyes just get a little watery. That's the closest I've ever seen her to crying. So she is uh, a full-fledged human being. That's great. You got to cry. it. So Seabiscuit, wow, it came out in 2003. I didn't realize it's crazy that long. I know. I'm looking at other ones. Hidalgo, I don't know that one. Let It Ride, that sounds horrible. Oh, my God. And a 1956 horse racing movie called The Killing. I don't think I want to see that one either. No. Stanley Kubrick directed. All you need to see is Secretariat or Seabiscuit. Or, you know, <laughs> Teddy, they could make a potential movie because I have a horse named after me, Sporanic. Let's Exactly. What In is Australia, I think. Yes. <laughs> people were tagging me and, and they were like, you have a, you look like a horse or like tagging me and weird things about horses. And I was like, trolls are at it again. Calling yes. me a horse. Not the first time, not the last time. Oh, and they're like, no, like Paige, you literally have a horse <laughs> named after you in Australia. And so, which is really cool. Uh, the horse is called Sporanic and, um, they named it after me because th- the owners are big golf fans. And they said that, you know, horse has some big, strong legs. I resemble it. Excellent. I will take it. <laughs> Absolutely. We, I, I definitely want an animal to be named after me, especially if it's fast and successful. Just to close the book on the movie thing, of course, there was a movie Secretariat. And that is what I was thinking of. That was the one in 2010. And that was beautifully shot as well. That's with Diane Lane and John Malcolm. Yeah, so so I'm going to have my kids watch both those. Fortunately, Paige, I have been to the Kentucky Derby a long time ago. It was before I was at the Chicago Tribune. I was at Sports Illustrated, so I went as a reporter for this like legendary writer named Bill Knack. It's the year Thunder Gulch won. I remember he was like a 24 <laughs> and a half to one shot. I wish I had bet Thunder Gulch at the time. But, I mean, a couple things. Back then, at least, 
I was pretty unimpressed by Churchill Downs. Like yeah. there are other tracks that are beautiful in Lexington, Kentucky named Keeneland. that is really awesome. I also remember like having a mint julep and being like, seriously, like this is what everybody goes crazy for. So hopefully they're a lot better now. <laughs> At that point, it was like some like limp ass piece of mint. Yeah. And it tasted like cough syrup. It was terrible. So <laughs> I think for maybe for our next podcast or watch party, you need to make a really good mint julep because I'm sure if it's done right, it is delightful. I, you know, I, that's one thing we'll have to do it together. We'll have to all to get my best, biggest hat and we'll have to go cover the Kentucky Derby. Yes. But the, the, the pro, there's only one problem and I love horses, but I'm definitely allergic to horses. So I can't oh. actually be near them. So we, I might have to bring like an EpiPen or something, but it's <laughs> fine. It is fine. Well, I love horses. I love petting them. I love being around them. I mean, I think the best part of going to a horse race is you go down to, um, you know, the area where they sort of trot around the circle sort of before and you can view them and they're so beautiful and so muscular. And honestly, I think like one of the best parts about covering the Kentucky Derby, like it's a very early morning kind of media event. I remember you got to yeah. go to the stables at like, I don't know, 6, 630, something That's crazy. That's pretty cool in the that you got to go to the stables. Absolutely. And then you talk to the trainers and what the impression that I came away with was, when the traders are talking about these these thoroughbreds, these horses, they ha- they're making them sound like they have more personality than people, which I thought was really funny. Like they're talking about a horse, and they're you know they'll be like, "Well, yeah, he's you know a um, little moody in the afternoons, and um, you know his diet, you know he, he you know he ventures away from the, you know this flavor of oats, and and he's very finicky, and he's a little sensitive about stuff." I'm like, "Seriously, you're talking about a horse?" You're going to get like that when you get your new doggy though, because I do that with Nico. I'll, I'll like be looking at him like, oh, he, he, he's like in a mood today. Like he's not, you know, like you start to like sense how they're feeling and like how they're acting and like what they like, what they dislike. It's just so interesting how you get so connected to like an animal and they do almost become like a person. Yeah. Well, my friend, uh, Michelle has a a delightful dog named Monty and she was gone for a few (laughs) days. And ever since she came back, He's like extra cuddly and huggy and all that kind of thing. And she thinks it's definitely like when you're separated from your owner for a few days, like then they're overcompensating. So that's pretty cool. Um, We are going on Thursday to Valparaiso, Indiana to meet like I think we're going to meet eight puppies. um, And then the owner is good. The breeder is going to set the family up with one like you meet all of them. And then she takes great pride in doing the matchup. And then we will go home. Um, with a, a boy or girl on May 7th. Don't pick the one that's sleeping. That's what I did wrong. I picked Nico because he was sleeping and I thought he was this calm little sweet baby and he turned out to be like Cujo. Like he <laughs> was the wor- I will never forget this. This was like our breaking point where like we need to get him trained because this dog, I bought all these new white polos and like all these new white shirts and I, I stacked them up. And we turned, I turned away for once, literally one second. He ran upstairs, pulled all of the new shirts down, just the new ones, the new white ones, pulled them down, peed on them, and then ran back downstairs. And I'm like, this dog is fucking with me. This dog, (laughs) oh yeah, he just like, he, he is so smart and so terrible. And he would just do things that would just like piss us all off. Like he was the worst dog dog ever. Ever. <laughs> the well, what's your advice in terms of should we have our dog like professionally trained? Yes. Do, should we 
Really? Yeah. So we did um, three, three or four two week long boot camps with a trainer. And it was life changing because with Nico, he was a bit aggressive. And I think it's because we got him when he was so young and um, they chopped his little balls off. And so they said, you have some behavioral issues when that happens. And so he was very anxious. He would bite at our heels. He would like, it was, we couldn't take him out because it was almost like, a hazard for other people and it was really scary and it was like to the point like this is not okay and so we got him trained uh, he came back a completely different dog like a completely different dog now he's like the best dog in the world he's so sweet we and we now know what to do with him too i think if you have a dog a dog breed that is highly intelligent and yeah. you need to know how to train them and like she gave us little tips and activities and things that we could do because he would just get so Well, she said he wasn't confident enough. And so he would like act out because of that. But two, he'd get bored. And so he needed to do things that would, you know, stimulate him. And so now we just had games and activities and things that we could do. And so he wouldn't do things or act out or do anything. So it was massive for us. He's so great around other people now, too. And he like, we could leave him in a house with things all over the floor. He won't touch any of them. So I think you need to invest in early on and then later on like it's it's nice that you don't have to worry about him like jumping up on new people or you know destroying anything or eating anything that he's not supposed to he is so well trained now so we had you know sort of like a trainer advisor type come over a week or so ago and there were so many takeaways but one of which they said you know if your dog acts out and does something you don't like you have to immediately establish because they have like no long-term memory (laughs) And it said, she said too, like, you have to stare in the dog's eyes and don't yield. Don't be the one who looks away. Like you have to establish that like you are the master of this dog. And they said too, like, if you do little tug of war contests, you have to win. You again, have to establish that you're the boss or else the dog's going to think it owns your ass. The weird thing was that we did everything we were supposed to do with Nico when he was a puppy. Like we did everything and we even tried, you know, they said um, instead of using, you know, like force for corrections, use a spray bottle. He loved the spray bottle and it didn't work. (laughs) And they said, like, if you really needed him to like get your, you need to get his attention, really tell him he did something. You flip him on his back and look in his eyes. He loved it. Like he, he didn't even like flinch at stuff like that. And it's like, so I think if you don't, if you have a dog with some behavioral issues early on, instead of just being like, Oh, whatever, like they'll grow out of it. That's when you need to get training right on it. Like Nico was a dog that really needed training. I'm not saying every dog needs it, but if your dog is showing any kind of issues, that's when you need to get training right off the bat. That's interesting. So I don't know if this is true, but somebody who owns a dog, my buddy Mike Hall said, the good news is like you can train a dog at any age. So, you know, like that is kind of a nice thing to be able to fall back on. But his point was in terms of the socialization, like there's a four to six week window where you have to establish, you know, get your dog around other dogs. You know, that's yeah. the whole issue of like who has shots and stuff. So you don't want them to be around too many dogs. You can't take them to a dog park but you have to get them like socialized in this four week window. Yeah. It's like when you start dating someone new, (laughs) Mm. 
<laughs> it's a four week window. Yeah, it's like a four week window. That's where you have to like have time to change them, and then after that, it's all done. <laughs> that is hilarious. Are you are you a man changer, by the way? <laughs> um, with certain things, so like style, I I don't like when a guy just like doesn't dress well or like yes. puts effort into what they're doing. And it's not that they don't want to, it's just that they just don't have the resources to be able to do it. So they don't know yep. where to shop or like to find things that fit them. And also like hair care and skincare and stuff. Like you shouldn't be washing your face with like a barred soap. Like you should actually have things in your, you know, wardrobe and on your counter that like can help you and fix you and make you look better. And so that's something that I would always do. It's like, I would get the guys to like work out, eat right. (laughs) And I would like throw all of their clothes out and just start fresh. And so like, you could probably tell guys I've dated because they tend to like look exactly the same after a while. Like they all have like the same type of style and like same haircut and like all that stuff. I can't, I can't, I, no, that's a no for me. If like their hair doesn't like yeah. look right and they put effort into it, we're fixing that. Yeah, guys, don't worry. She'll only influence what you eat, uh, how often you eat, when you work out, what you wear, how your face looks, and how your hair looks. Other than that, feel free to be yourself. Well, and like how you act too. Like, don't forget that too. Like what you say and like how you talk to me. And I mean, we can keep going. But on the flip side, you get really cool golf merch and golf clubs and a lot of free stuff. So, you know, there's a trade-off. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm still waiting for my page golf towels. Um, <laughs> I guess they're so popular that, you know, they've, you've run out of them. They're sold out. We have sold out. So we are, I'm trying to get you all of your towels. Don't you worry. They will come. Appreciate it. <laughs> yep. We have, I have, I have two golf trips this summer. One is mid May. The big one, the white claw invitational is mid July. So. I love that. The white claw invitational. Always good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a tradition, Aaron Hills and Sand Valley. So over the MLB All-Star break, it's going to be awesome. Cool. So we're going to do two TNA to wrap this episode up. We are going to do one non-golf question and one golf question. So if you had to redo one year of your life, what would it be and why? I think this was a very interesting one because... Can you go first? Yeah, I'm going to go first. (laughs) I would probably say my freshman year of college at U of A. A lot of the time that I spent in college, I would like to redo. Um, It's not that I regret anything. I think I had to go through all of that growth to become the person that I am today. But because I was homeschooled from fifth grade until college... I didn't know how to act around kids. And as a people pleaser, I felt that I just did a lot of things that were not in aligned with the person that I am and my character. And so I got into like drinking and partying and like I didn't focus as much on golf and school was still fine. But I just, I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that like I changed who I was to make other people like me. And I did that a lot in college and I hated that. I still think about that. I'm like, why did I, I was so cringy. Like, why did I feel like I had to drink to fit in? Or like, why did I, you know, feel like I had to say that or do that or be that type of person to have people like me? And and the fact is they didn't like me at all. Like I never fit in. And so it's like, I did all of that for literally nothing. And then I ended up transferring and it's like, I just wish I could take so much of that back of like all of the years of college. But again, I think it was so important. So I think this question is tough because the hardest years and the ones you probably want to redo are the years that you need the most. And that's when you have your most character growth and 
the t- the times that like hurt the most is when you come out a lot better for it. So I would like to redo it, but I think that was probably one of the most important years of my life to like figure out who I was and who I wanted to be and why I wanted to be that person. Hmm. I I would not redo any years of my life, but the closest would be the total opposite of you. Uh, after college, I was living in Manhattan and I was what, 21 or 22. And I wish I'd gone out more. Oh, wow. <laughs> I had a serious girlfriend. So, you know, wasn't, uh, wasn't too aggressive with being social. Um, so yeah, probably the opposite take is yours. I mean, I can't imagine being in New York and not being like single and going out. And I've, that's one thing I've always wanted to do. And I wish I did when I was younger was like live in New York or live in like a very busy area yes. uh, like downtown and just be single and like go out all the time. But that never, that never happened for me either. Yeah, I was living uh, 95th Street between Columbus and Central Park West. It was, uh, it was pretty sweet. Uh, actually, a medium sketchy part of town, but um but, but all right. And yeah, I mean, you think, oh, I'm going to be living in New York for a long time. I was working at Sports Illustrated. Um, and then the Chicago Tribune called and moved out here and everything's been great. But just knowing everything I know now, it's like, and I just out every night. Like, why wasn't I getting out with like, like some of the Sports Illustrated people were really cool. Yeah. Met like them out more with their friends, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but other than that, no going regrets. out is overrated. I'm sure you never woke up with like <laughs> a chicken nugget still. I, after my 21st <laughs> birthday, I literally woke up in like one cowboy boot, no clothes on and like a chicken nugget, half eaten chicken nugget was like still in my mouth. Like it was just like sitting there. I could have choked and died. I don't know how I like lived, but I wow. like, woke up and I was like, what just happened? <laughs> I thought you were going to say waking up with a chick. No, you, you, no. You surprised me there nugget. with waking up with a chicken nugget. Yeah, I that was being chicken nugget like fries were all over me. I was like, what am I doing age. with my life? You're making bad choices at night, but we're only talking food choices. You know, not great. Okay, so our golf question. And this one is actually pretty interesting. And I feel like you could help out a lot because I get this question all the time. And it's, what's the best way to introduce my wife to golf? I want her to play some rounds with me. And so normally I give my typical advice. I've give I've, pr- I've probably answered this one quite a bit. And I feel like it's almost the same as when you're bringing your kids into the game. You want to make it fun mm-hmm. at first, let them drive mm-hmm. the car, give them like, you know, hot dogs and food and snacks, keep them, you know, occupied when you're playing. And I feel like that's the same. So how have, does your wife play? Have you tried to get her into the game? Do you even like playing with her? Because I think sometimes guys don't want to bring a significant other into yes. it because yes. it's like their alone time just as if you know yes. women like to do their own thing guys like to have their own personal time and golf tends to be that personal time for them so i feel like almost guys don't want to bring them in and it's almost like <laughs> what excuses do you give to like keep them out so first off is like yeah. how do you get her in and then how do you keep her out too for That's the guys right. who don't want them in <laughs> So I have no such challenge of keeping her out because uh, my wife, Nori, has literally zero desire <laughs> to play golf. Um, she will play putt-putt once or twice a year. Um, she has no patience. She doesn't like being outside if it's too hot or if it's too cold. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't really like to walk. Like, I want, like, I'm happy to walk 18 holes. There's, there's basically no part of golf that, she that interests her at all. <laughs> So I am trying to get my daughters into it. And my daughter L last year was like, she was lefty, hit it pretty well. I was incentivizing her. Like I would drop a ball and I'd say, okay, we're both going to chip 
if you get yours closer, you get a dollar. Yeah. If I get mine closer, there's no penalty. Uh, mainly though, she just likes to drive the golf cart. So I, I, I've sort of struck out. But my thought on the whole spouse thing is um, either you want a wife who's really good um, or you don't want her to play at all. Yeah. <laughs> so you want somebody where you can like, I don't know, take golf trips or you can be competitive against each other. Like my boy, Nick Hardy, who's on the Corn Ferry Tour, like his girlfriend is like a really good college player. I know Colin Morikawa, you know, his girl is, you know, she's an awesome college player. So I think that could be really fun. But short of that, it's guy time. Let me be, you do your thing. I'll do mine. I think if you don't want your significant other to play with you and, and I, and I get it. Like there are certain times where, you know, I've been in relationships. I'm like, I don't want to play golf with you like yeah. at all. Like that's your time to go do what you want to do with your guy friends. Like I don't want to. And it's always funny because every relationship, you know, I've been in, it's always like, they want me to be there for golf. And I'm like, that's my job. Like, I don't want to play with you or like help you or like do all that stuff. Like that's your time to do your thing. And like, that's work for me. I don't want to do that. So I think you can suggest another activity you guys can do together, like where you're picking it up at the same time. And that way it's like you can learn it together. You guys can take lessons together. I do think it's hard when there is almost like a big discrepancy and someone who is maybe pretty experienced at golf and someone who's really new picking it up. If you don't want to teach them, don't teach them. I think that's the worst thing you could possibly do for your relationship. Exactly. Get them lessons and have that, like have a professional teach them. And then you can start to like work together in golf. But I think if you want to pick something up together, that can be the thing you guys do together. And golf could be your separate thing. Yeah. Can you imagine if I attempted to teach someone golf? I mean, you've seen how I swing. The best I could probably, the best advice I would probably be like is keep your head down which a lot of instructors would say is actually bad advice because you're supposed to release your head. So that's another thing. Like yeah. I'm actually a pretty, I'm actually a pretty good tennis player. Like I'd, I'd feel comfortable bringing somebody along, encouraging my wife to play tennis, giving her some tips, but golf, like just do the opposite of what I do. I will be on the range and I'll be hearing like a couple or like a guy trying to teach his girlfriend how to hit. And it's, oh. I'm like, this guy has to be fucking with her on purpose so she never plays golf ever again because this is the worst advice i have ever heard in my entire life like they are so bad at giving advice and it's like don't if you are not on tour or like a decent enough player shouldn't say because i'm not on tour and i'm giving advice but like if you are like a scratch if a good golfer if you play competitive golf even if it's amateur golf then you could probably give some tips here and there or if you've worked with a lot of instructors, like I've worked with a lot of the top instructors. And so instead yes. of, you know, me paying a thousand bucks, like I did yeah. for them to give a lesson, I can give you the advice for free. Um, but like there's people who are 25, 30 handicaps giving advice out to new golfers. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? Like you need help. Like you don't, you shouldn't yeah. be the one teaching. The only thing I, I can do somewhat competently is I can tell if somebody's like too far from the ball, if they're just like sticking out their arms like, I feel like a lot of the better players on, on their irons, especially on their short irons, are really close to the golf ball. And most people like me and higher handicaps are like a mile from it. See, that's where you need lessons because I have to move away from the golf ball a little bit more because of my chest area and like how yes. I turn around it. And so like, that's why I'm saying like, you need to go get lessons from a professional because there are certain things that like maybe you, sh- you shouldn't normally do, but you have to do because yes. of you, but you're right. Like it's actually insane how close the guys stand to the golf ball. Like their hands are literally just <sighs> hanging down. And I think if like 
you are on the driving range and you just want to try something, yeah. move closer to the golf ball because Seriously. you have to put so much less effort into it. If your hands are just hanging in that position, all you have to do is like bring them up and drop them back down. It's no effort at all. But if you're reaching for it, you do have to like lean in and change your swing just slightly to like find impact because you're, you have to reach back out to get the ball again. Except when I've tried to do that on the range page, Shanks. it brings in, you're not supposed to. It's just the dreaded S word. <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably well, the problem is like they're like amateur golfers are just they don't they're so used to swinging the way that they've been swinging. Like, yes, that's the thing. Like if you just move in, just again, just keep doing it over and over and over again until you start to find the center. Like you should be athletic enough, Teddy, to like figure out how to hit. I'm uh, yeah. You know what? I'll beat you in tennis. Okay, <laughs> you're gonna house me in golf, but I'll beat you in some sport. I I used to be uh, like was trying to get back into tennis, but I I need help with my serves. So I will help you with your short game if you will help me with my serves because I serving is not for me. I can't figure it out. I love serving. I got a good kick serve. Um, that's maybe yeah, that's maybe the strength of my game. So we'll uh we'll figure something out. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. As always, we always love your support. If you want to ask us any questions, you can find us on the playing around Instagram account or email us at PARIHeartRadio.com. Teddy, as always, thank you so much for joining us and we will catch you guys here again soon. Follow playing around with Paige Renee on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.